the Talk Editions podcast. The sound is the sound of the instruments, so it's making the sound that is then also the discovery of the sound, and that is also the bringing of the possibility of traveling, of the possibility of a space itself. Getting at the interior of what is there. It's not the spirit armor mine, it's actually a cyborg spirit armor. Jesse Cox is a composer, drummer, and scholar currently in pursuit of his doctorate degree at Columbia University. Growing up in Switzerland and also having roots in Trinidad and Tobago, he is currently residing in New York City. He has written over 100 works for various musical ensembles, including electroacoustic works, solo works, chamber and orchestral works, works for jazz ensemble and choirs. As a performer, he has played in Europe, Africa, the Caribbean, and the USA with musicians from all over the world. His scholarly writing has been published in the journal Sound American and Castle of Our Skins blog. A publication is forthcoming in Critical Studies and Improvisation, and he has presented his work at numerous conferences and festivals. Isaac Jean-Francois is a doctoral student in the joint degree program with African American Studies and American Studies at Yale University. Jean-Francois's research interests include Black Studies, Phenomenology, Psychoanalysis, Queer Theory, and Sound Studies. His research on composer and performer Julius Eastman is featured in an issue of Current Musicology in an essay titled Julius Eastman, The Sonority of Blackness Otherwise. Jean-Francois is committed to the intersection between academia and advocacy work and serves as the secretary of the board of directors of the Stonewall Community Foundation based in New York City. Jean-Francois earned his BA from Columbia University in Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies, cum laude. He holds a certificate of study from the European Graduate School in Sospe, Switzerland. Without further ado, here's Jesse and Isaac. Jesse, I'm curious about uh, about the inspiration to go to go into TV. What about what about the space of TV makes you more able to to access these these questions of space and travel? Oh, this one I wanted to make a TV series because uh, well, I wanted to make a novel basically, you know, like a dull grain, like a really long novel that, um, so dull grain is this novel by Samuel Delany, it's really long. And it took me like three months or so to read. Actually, I read most of it during the beginning of the, of the quarantine lockdown in New York. And somehow it's really special to read a long novel, you know, like you get this relationship to the time of when you're reading the novel and the novel at the same time. So I wanted to deal with that sort of relationship building, you know? And I guess the next part was that in a lockdown, I sort of needed something to, to keep my practice, you know, give my practice some uh, ritual, uh, give myself a ritual also, so that you know, I could stay sane. Um, actually, it was sort of kind of like I want to dream again. I'm sick of these news and focusing on social media news about all the craziness. So I need something to to deal with this differently. You know, to to digest this whole situation in a different way and to rekindle the connection to my to life, to living life, or something like that um yeah so that's why i want to make a tv series <laughs> so so is the is the idea that the the piece would circulate through 
um, recording devices? Would it would it be could it be premiered on a on a channel um, on the actual TV set? How how are you imagining it being received or becoming sure. received? Well, I mean, I made it on YouTube, right? Uh, but that was basically because the easiest way to make a TV series. Um, I didn't, I mean, the only really, basically the only boundary conditions of it were to me that they would be released once a week and that it has to be uh, video and sound because to me, the visual of music making, especially with this piece, but actually in any work I do, is very important. Um, the way that you interact with the instruments, the way that people behave, you know, and that's further part of that ritual that it is. And then there is this circle, which is like a musical score, but also kind of like a, 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 a um, you know, a, a, an aid to listening to the piece. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah. Say more about that. Well, basically, you know, they're images from outer space, like I took them from NASA. And mm. uh, you have different uh, bodies, like celestial bodies, such as stars, moons, planets, different kind of planets, exoplanets, um, uh, what else? Nebula, uh, mm. meteors, the cosmic microwave background. Uh, just galaxies and constellations, uh, blackness, and actually a foreign planet uh, surface, at least that's how I imagine it. And mm -hmm. each one of these bodies has a different acoustic environment. So if you're, every time you see a sun, you're kind of in an acoustic environment uh, built from the steel drum. Every time you're near, a nebula, uh, you're in an acoustic environment built from the sound of my flute. Every time you're traveling through outer space, you're in the spaceship and that sound was built from my kalimba uh, that I have. So that's basically why it is a listening aid because it sort of, you know, brings you to places visually where you are also going to sonically. Yeah. Right. No, I, I just think that this idea of the TV, mm -hmm. um, which is this sort of ubiquitous uh, box, which now has been sort of stretched and flattened, um, how it's a fixture in the home, that there's a, there's a, there, there are a set of assumptions that perhaps are associated with the with the technology of TV. Um, and I, I think the sort of psychic interaction with this ubiquitous, ubiquitous fixture um, is, is one that I think that could be really great for space travel, you know, <laughs> um, to be in front of a TV and sort of zone out and be available to its movement and motion and being fixed by a program um, 
could perhaps set up the best conditions for something like uh, transportation. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I yeah. wonder, I, I, I wonder about that, you know, the interaction of the listener who is also watching um, and floating away with mm -hmm. or against you. I wonder how you forecasted that experience or is it, is it another kind of um, conversation that you're hoping to have with your passenger? Yeah, it's a very interesting point you bring up because I actually had to think about that as well a little bit at the end of it because, well, not in those terms. I never thought about it in terms of the TV, but that's, I mean, I had to think of it in terms of just the fact of questions of home. Mm. Because, I mean, this is interesting because, of course, in the TV, that's this, like it's in the home of the listener. And as you said, sort of really a trans, a, a, a sort of mesmerizing kind of um, box, a, a sort of hypnosis box. But there's also the fact that actually you're seeing me in my home. Mm. So that this goes both ways, actually, in this TV show, because it's actually a, a TV show that's kind of like half documentary, basically filming me at home doing my mm, own mm. life practice, practice, right? And mm. it's there's something very, um, I think there's something very, um, I don't know what the word would be, personal is not the right word, but something that that is happening between private my private space and uh, the public space through which the audience can reach and I can reach the, the audience or the listeners um, that is there. And I think that's something we also felt, I remember we, you and I and some other people also, when we made this website that we built together, talked about a bit, I think about how suddenly during that time, the home, because the public space disappeared to home, the private mm. space disappeared too in, in some form. It was, it was all a different feeling. You didn't feel safe at home in the same way as you normally mm. do, right? You didn't feel mm. like you could go out into the public mm. anymore because the, and the public only reached you through the internet, which is in your home. You know? mm. Mm. No, it's interesting. I never thought about that in terms of the TV series. Well, there's something there's something about the transmission too, mm. Mm -hmm. and I mean, think about it in in several different ways. You know, the pathological sense of transmission in our moment now with the virus, um, mm. the transmission of a car, which is sending you in different gears, um, so the different registers of this affective encounter, but um, the different registers of the affective encounter bound to some kind of motion and then transmission as in literally the signal, the signal sending. Um, and, and what I think is so magical about this sort of oscillating, changing orb that you have, and I, I, we really gotta sit, I don't know if we can do it here, but we gotta really sit and think about you and this orb because there's so much I think in this this circle orb fear that constantly oscillates through your work that
that I, I want to think more about. But that, that in this oscillating, vibrating orb, that you're getting access to the different planetary and space scenes, you see a kind of melting of home, public, private. You're going elsewhere. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is where the sound is, is taking you in radical community with your, with your listener and as maker, as instrumentalist. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wonder here um, how the instrument helps you get there and how attuning your instrument to these particular spaces in times, how does it help you get there? Just I don't know. <laughs> Should, yeah. I mean, huh. it's a good question. I don't know because I guess uh, the circle. You know, the circle is two things at once. It's a uh, getting there, and it's also taking there. Mm -hmm. The same, and the same, I would say, is for the instrument maybe because. The instrument is the circle, right? So the circles change. So I go from planet, home planet one. So there are actually two home planets in the piece. I go from home planet one to home planet two. And to do that, I have to discover this very technology of going, mm -hmm. which means I also discover that I am in a planet. So all of that happening through sound, recognizing the mm -hmm. sound, and the sound is the sound of the instruments, so that it's making the sound that is then also the discovery of the sound, and that is also the bringing of the possibility of traveling, of the possibility of a space itself. Uh, in that sense, the That's instrument the is like, I don't know, both the space. A discovery you know? <laughs> of the technology of going a discovery of the technology of going, a bringing of the possibility of traveling. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I just had to repeat that. That's brilliant. Did you say that? No, you just said that. <laughs> okay. I, had, I interrupted you, I'm sorry, but I just no, had to repeat no, that because that, that, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, mm. yeah, I guess, you know, hmm. it's interesting because you mentioned this hole. It's, it's funny that piece, space like the space travel from home TV series, um, is actually uh, further, further related to a hole because it is actually uh, sort of uh, related to my uh, opera, right? And the opera. Um, as a song of a world is basically the the black hole around which this TV series exists, um, and the, in the TV series you see the black hole, and uh, the black hole is sort of like a distorting time. Um, so I do some weird things with time in the TV series because. I was seeing this whole TV series as oscillating around the possibility of making that opera because 
I was making this opera and then this happened and I wasn't sure if it would happen. Hmm. And so I wanted to create a, a work that would, in addition to all the things that we mentioned before, that would sort of, um, yeah, oscillate around the possibility of the opera itself. So oscillating around the possibility of that other work, of like that other really important piece for me to exist and not knowing whether it would exist. Um, but see, this is, this is really, <laughs> you know, Jesse, and this is, this is something that for me personally, where I think your work is most dramatically positioned is this larger critique of how we even um, encounter things. It's, it's so fascinating, encounter things aesthetic um, bodies, um, your constant uh, questioning of, and it's, it, I think it's fascinating, the reference to Sam Delaney at the beginning, um, the, the form of the novel, the form of the opera, the form of the television series. I mean, you're constantly thinking about the vessel, the body of these, th these sounds, these materials. And then what you end up doing is like a surgeon or like a electrician, you bring a whole toolbox of instruments to, to disassemble and then reassemble what you continue to go back to the possibility of something like an opera the possibility of something like a television series hmm. um so i'm I, i'm just curious about um and you know when you you said here the circle is a getting there and a taking there mm -hmm. it's a constant hmm play with the conditions of that possibility or what that possibility even looks like. So I, I, I just am I'm curious if we think with that, um, how you're positioning yourself in relation to these constructed instruments, your constant um, refusal of the given, that this is the flute and the flute is only going to have one timbre and the flute is not, it's just, we're going to just listen to it here with the sound that, no, you're saying that it's signaling something else. Mm -hmm. So how, how are you piecing together these, these constellations of, of instruments, but also um, the imagining of places and their possibilities when, when you're thinking about um, space travel from home? Mm -hmm. Basically, all of this started to me with basically the other way around. <laughs> and funny, I never thought of it this way. Like you, you uh, mentioned it because I always thought of it as me looking for the sound in the instruments. Mm like trying to understand the sounds, trying to understand the instrument, like trying to understand what it's saying, um, seems to be what I've thought I've always been doing. Mm. Um, you know, like I would like, um, I should say, I would like look at sounds in many different ways, try to see it in different ways every time. And, uh, well, yeah, maybe, that is a type of, now that you mentioned it to me, it 
certainly becomes also a type of uh, Afrofuturist like thinking, like Eshun mentions, mm, mm, like mm. cultural mentions, Eshun mentions uh, what uh, Afrofuturism sort of like future archaeologists digging, um, digging, and through that you remake what it means maybe, I don't know. It's interesting because recently I started thinking actually of my practice as architection or being an archi architect. Like mm. it's fun because uh, Alan Dak Chan Manupis did this beautiful uh, short uh, section and architect comes out, which is the word I gave him, but I ne never, I didn't spell it like architect, you know, because architect means like, you know, the black arc, right? Lee Scratch Perry is in it, Sandra Arc Estra is in it. And in that sense, it's a, it's an architecture of sound. Mm. And in that sense, maybe now it makes sense when you say bring tools, because then it also makes sense to say, I'm looking at the thing and trying to understand what it's saying. Mm -hmm. Architecture, you're doing all of these things, or you mm -hmm. have to, but I don't know. This is just some random thinking right now. Because I no, know. no, no, sit with this for a minute, because I'm, I'm, I'm curious then. And when you said I'm trying to get inside the fluid, this image of, 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 um, bone marrow came up like getting mm. the, the 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 interior of this what you're what you're received as i mean obviously if you look inside it's hollow but you know getting at the interior of what is what is there um i i, I wonder i wonder then because you know, in our work, I know that we're constantly thinking about a listening, a listening to that interior. But but you're doing something different here. The travel is the travel is dependent on a particular kind of access to that to that hole, to that mm -hmm. inside, mm -hmm. to that marrow almost. I like that bone marrow idea because I've been having a lot of bones in my. Right surrounding um, yeah. but also the bone flute and actually I play now a cow's horn really but of course the bone marrow you need to get rid of it to make the sound uh -huh. exactly and <laughs> full of nutrients so it's, it's interesting del uh, delicacy the new bone marrow is the sound maybe we can um, but the, bo but the marrow is is a thickener you know it's also the stem cells. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's some kind of like there's some kind of like binding originary thing about it. Cloning them those sounds. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I was drawn to the bones. It's interesting. I do, I, I know why I was drawn to the masks. You know, Switzerland has uh Fasnacht, which is like a carnival. You have a lot of great masks and all kinds of things. Oh, so right, that's happening this month, this month. Yeah, it was supposed to happen, I think, last week. But uh, I remember being thrown an onion. Oh, wow. that's weird. Yeah. Where in Switzerland were you? Basel. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. We, we only do confetti here, you know, like. Really? Um, There's no candy, nothing? 
Ah, uh, candy, maybe. I don't remember because I don't even remember like really loud drums and loud shoes. I love the, the <laughs> and the um, beautiful lanterns. Right, that's at night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the masks. When I was a kid, that was it. The drums and the masks and the mm. loud shoes. But yeah, the bones, I never thought about those. I don't know. I just had to do that because the spirit armor thing just, it was perfect for my opera. Mm. So it came into my work because of that piece, um, really. Because the spirit armor is this idea of, you know, uh, the hunters in Dogon and I think Panama tradition wear it. And it's, it's very fascinating to rethink that the philosophy of how to relate to civilization and nature, because mm. the, the, the hunter there is kind of like, you know, in between civilization and nature, and it's the connecting thing between them. And they, they have to be half, half, you know, Something about that reminds me also of being a musician. You're only mm. half in mm. civilization. But uh, I was always, I guess, drawn to these kind of figures. There mm. was figures that were living half in the, in the forest, maybe because I grew up half in the forest in some way. Mm. But uh, yeah, I have to think more about that. I don't know why. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious. And I'm thinking back to what Dada Leo Smith Mm. Um, philosophy of time, sedimented mm. time, and I, I'm I'm thinking about how you're 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 taking these figures like the mask, which in our moment is so forget our moment, I mean, for forever has been so charged with a particular kind of racialized apprehension and story and mythology um, that is shrouded in this thing, but you know, this question between origin and extraction and stealing the mask and donning the mask and the mask somehow um, being a symbol for something else. And in, in, in your orchestration of a kind of space travel that dissolves a home, you bring with you this past figure of the mask into the future. So I, I, I and, and other symbols, and other symbols into the future, armor into the future. Meanwhile, maybe in the future, we, we don't even need armor, maybe there's like, you know, a field, a force field, electromagnetic <laughs> force field. So I, I, I wonder why these figures, how are they operating in the piece? Are they signaling a kind of um, past that is, is gesturing towards an always present future? Um, how, are, how are these are operating in the scene? <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because I actually forgot it's not the spirit armor mine. It's actually a cyborg spirit armor. Because mm. um, mm. it has, like, of course, I, 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 I'm, I wasn't, I'm not an expert in making spirit armors or anything, nor do I know how to make one. I just see the principle and I was like, 
the, I like the idea. So I call it cyborg spirit armor because I want to pay homage to, to that art form, just like when we say I'm painting a painting. But uh, the objects on it are not only bones, there's also like, you know, electronic stuff. And basically, I remember this was part of what happened to me with building my cyborg clarinet, you know, it's, it's this process of constantly amassing things from around you trying to work them together to make them make a sound. Um, and also, I guess, the same with the mask, I'm, I'm adding stickers with my own music written on it onto the mask mm, and I'm mm. constantly thinking or not thinking but you know realizing when I have to how and, and when I have to change it I mean also the mask that I use is pretty much a, I would say a meaningless mask before me because it was first found in a flea market it looks like a really cheap knockoff kind of mask but it's somehow old and weathered down so it may have had some meanings, but not like, you know, it's not like a really overdetermined kind of object, really. It might have been just a fake, you know, who knows what it yeah. has been. Anywho, I think what is important is what I make it. And I have noticed something else, actually. When I made that uh, cyborg spirit armor, at the first day I wore it, you know, I still don't understand what exactly that was, but I mean, there's something about the moment I put that clothes on me, you know. Uh, it's different than your normal T-shirt, you know. I mean, mm. maybe you can imagine you have a T-shirt where you like what's written on it a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. That gives you a certain feeling, but this is more mm. intense because you thought about this thing for a year and mm. about every object on it and every relationship on it. The moment mm. you put it on, it's a special moment, you know, it's a really special moment. And every time you put it on, you, you can keep that alive, that feeling. And so the spirit armor to me has become at least something, not an armor, but it's, it's, it's much more complex. It's, it's like, it connects you to things. It gives you survival possibilities. You know, I put uh, uh, old Clementine, leaves on it that I dry, it gives a smell. It is bought, it, the clementines used to be bought. They, they fed me. It reminds me of the clementines, it reminds me of the smell of wearing the spirit armor. It's very interesting. I think it's, to me, it's something about a lot of these practices that we in the West today often seem to put into the past there's something about some of these practices to me that that is really really valuable, and uh, not only valuable but it's actually something we're trying to ignore maybe uh, about how we behave. You know, like mm. we do the same thing with as that with, for example, our social, our Facebook page or something. Just we don't do it consciously, and that makes us put things there that maybe don't help us. Sometimes, you know, things like that. I think about it in that way sometimes. Um, but who knows what that means? Maybe that's just me thinking about it. But um, so the wearing <laughs> is the wearing of this composed piece of clothing is also a kind of travel for you. That's right. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I never thought of it this way. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's actually very interesting because that's why I started wearing masks because mm. it it um, it does something to you, you know, and to the mm. people around you too. Like nobody can do anything against it. And it's really strange because we act like, it, oh, you're just wearing a mask, but you know, you're wearing a mask every day. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like your face, I don't mean in coronavirus. I mean mm-hmm. in general, right? Like you wear a mask wherever you go. You're part of a society or a family or whatever space you enter, you put on a certain type of mask. I mean, for me, it was always, I guess, becomes became pretty clear pretty early in my life, you know, with my background. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> masks are interesting. I know that I know that you're you're always already inspired by Glissant and the notion of Creolite and and I I think a, a theme that often bubbles up in in your work is is language the language of the instrument the language of the encounter with the different times that are being conducted in in the performance, and so I, I I wonder I wonder if you could speak to to that clash and and uh, caress of different different sound linguistic formations that you're that you're making here. That's a very good question. I mean, that's true. That's very much part of my style. <laughs> you want to call it that? But, um, huh. I mean, honestly, to me, it was always part of my life, just in general, you know, like, I don't know, maybe you have some perception of how it feels to you as a critically engaged listener and thinker about these works, but I mean, for me, because for me, it's just, you know, like my everyday life since I'm born pretty much like, you know, I mean, firstly, I'm Swiss. So part of my family speaks French, other speaks German, then uh, another part of my family from Trinidad and Tobago speaks English. Then Switzerland is very multicultural, actually, at least where, where and when I grew up here. So... I mean, there's people from all over the world that are, were my friends since day, since the first day I was on this planet. And it only continued and amplified. I went to Berkeley, that was the same thing. All my friends were from everywhere on this planet. And New York, same thing. Right now I have, because everywhere, like many of them had to go to their passport place. <laughs> you mm. know, ridiculous world that it is now, but um i've noticed that there's people that that are connected to me very deeply and to me and and who i am today from really anywhere on this planet like every edge i can go and have a friend so that's pretty good um and that's i mean that's my music you know my music is really an extension of me to me or a way to make myself too, you know? So, and also most of my friends are, are musicians or artists or 
thinkers or people who engage with it in some form. Um, so, you know, their sounds are part of my sounds, like none of mm. my languages without them ever. So mm. I found that really fascinating, actually. Mm. Like, you know, as a musician, any sound you make, it's inspired by anyone you ever heard, pretty much. Mm. I can't really draw any lines. Even people that I think that I don't like or that whose sound I don't like, you know, it seems to me like to make it a line to, to that, it doesn't really make sense. I don't know. It's kind of weird, but yeah. <laughs> mm. That's how I see it. Mm. This has been the Talk Editions podcast, episode 17, with Jesse Cox and Isaac Jean-Francois. The audio throughout this episode was from episode 12 of Space Travel from Home by Jesse Cox. You can check out the whole TV series on Jesse's website, jessecoxmusic.com slash space dash travel. If you're enjoying the Talk Editions podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it so others can find us. This episode was produced and recorded by Jesse Cox and Isaac Jean-Francois, and edited by me, Marina Kipperstein. Keep an eye out for a premiere of Jesse's new work titled The Sound of Listening, as part of Issue Project Room's series Propositions from the Dead Work in Progress on March 31st. Also upcoming for Jesse is a premiere at Meretzmusik in Berlin on March 20th, and a record release with Infrequent Themes on March 26th. Check the show notes for links about these exciting productions. For more information about Talk, go to talkensemble.com or find us on your social media platform of choice. Thanks for listening.